This is Lee Child, and you're listening to Writer Type. This is Marcia Clark. This is Alex Segura. Hi, this is Sophie Hanna. Hey, this is Brian Panowich. This is Allison Galen. Well, that's an interesting question. Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Really good question. This is Sarah Paretsky, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I'm your host, Eric Beatner, and I'm so happy to have joining me today as my special guest co-host, one Jennifer Hillier. Jennifer, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me, Eric. Your new book, Little Secrets, is uh, hot off the press. Well, let's say warm off the presses. It's been out for a little while now. We all have little secrets, I'd say. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) We have little secrets and big secrets and (laughs) everything in between. I would not have a job if if there weren't secrets to reveal. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good point. I think you've you've tapped into sort of a basic human nature uh, thing here. The theme of my work is is revealing people's secrets, whether they want them revealed or not. Well, now, do you see a difference? Because I, I, there's there are almost two two different types of secrets to me. Because you've got secrets that are something that you want to keep hidden, right? And then there's secrets that you just sort of you know you kind of want to just keep your privacy. Like if I if I found out that you were you know president of the New Kids on the Block fan club when you were in <laughs> high school, that's that's not going to damage you, but it's maybe something you want to keep under wraps, right? I think there are degrees of shame associated with <laughs> secrets and so there are some things that are very very you know shameful and embarrassing and things that you would just prefer not you know not to reveal for fear you'll lose any sense of coolness <laughs> now do you think uh, i mean secrets also exist both within friend groups and uh, people at work they're also uh, you've tended to write about family secrets and, and some yeah. stuff that happens with people that you think are the closest to you but actually might be hiding something that's right because i'm a suspicious person and everybody hides something right aha I think that no one ever really knows us. And I think I've been writing about that since the beginning. And I'm not sure why that is so fascinating to me, but I'm I'm always wondering why people do what they do and what they do when nobody's looking. Because we're different people when we think nobody's watching. So there's a bit of a voyeuristic angle to, to my work, I think, because I want to know, because I'm very nosy. You know, I'm getting there already, but I think by the time I am, you know, really, really old with great grandchildren, I will be the most annoying person. I will want to know everybody's business (laughs) (laughs) and ask very intrusive questions because I'm already getting there. Well, now, this new book is uh, was immediately met with high praise, and everyone is loving it, and you sort of went through the same thing with Jar of Hearts. You had uh, quite the award season, oh, ma'am. I'm glad it happened last year. You know, I feel so bad for all of the authors that are nominated, um, and they just did the Edgars, right? And yeah. um, it's not the same, you know? It's not the same as, as being you know, in the big banquet room and having your name called out, whether you win or not, it's just an honor and it's a magical experience. So yeah, it's definitely, this book release has been different than Jar of Hearts. Um, In some ways, you know, a lot more challenging and in some ways, surprisingly easier. The Mm. events I've been doing are all virtual and that actually suits me because then I don't have to go anywhere. Um, (laughs) Right. Like I can just, I can be home. I'm in my pajamas, you know, and no one, no one has to you know, I don't have to worry about traffic, but you know, the book, the book is out and I'm really happy with it. And I hope it resonates and finds readers, which is always, always a thing that worries writers. So, Oh yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, it feels like you're definitely connecting with a lot of readers and, and you've got now a legion of very dedicated fans. I mean, do you feel like you have kind of hit a groove now with, with your writing? You've, you've got your dedicated readers, you've, you, you've got a critical praise, you've got the awards on the shelf, or is each time you go to start a new book is, is all that writerly paranoia and doubt just <laughs> right there confronting you all over again? I think the thing I've gotten better at is switching gears faster between, you know, the head that you, the headspace you need to be in when you're promoting and the headspace you need to be in when you're writing. Um, Uh That's the one thing I struggled with. And I think that just comes with time. But in terms of what I'm writing, am I still full of self-doubt? Oh my God. Um, I still think everything I write is awful and (laughs) I still worry about it and it still keeps me up at night. And I still, there are absolute moments throughout the whole book where I think I'm, what am I doing? Like I suck. Um, and then there are moments where I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And I, this is exactly why I do this. Um, so that part hasn't changed at all, but I am better at turning it off when I know it's not helping. Um, like if I'm talking about the book that's finished, there's no point in stressing about the next one until I finish talking about the current one. <laughs> right. I'm better at pitching gears, but no, all that insecurity is still there. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I, you wouldn't be a writer if it wasn't. Right. Like it's, it's kind of what we do. And you can kind of tell when someone's over it. You know, I think um, getting arrogant or cocky with your work is probably the kiss of death because then then you're not open to feedback. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge part of being a writer is being open to feedback because you're going to get it relentlessly uh, at every stage of the process, whether it's your agent or your editor or your, you know, the Goodreads person. Well, now here we are in this uh, time of crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, does trying to write and be creative uh, when the world around you is kind of going a little bit mad, does that affect your writing? Are you able to burrow in and just dedicate yourself and focus only on the page? No, the writing has been going terribly. Um, And it was, it's so frustrating because I was, I was in a groove before all this happened Um, right up until like mid-March when things locked down here in Canada. I was, I was writing every day. I was, I was enjoying what I was writing. And then, and then I got distracted because we were all talking about, you know, the world and what was changing. And, and then now my kid is home from school. And so now the house is busy and my husband works from home too. And suddenly all of that writing time has just sort of been eaten away by other things and it's been hard to claw it back. So, but it's, it's taken a while to kind of, you know, ramp into this new groove that we're in. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, let's uh, talk to our first guest. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good to me. Well, we are lucky enough that we're joined with Sarah Paretsky, who, uh, I mean, how do you introduce Sarah Paretsky? She's a legend. I mean, maybe you let her introduce herself because what what could do her justice, really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, she's here with her 20th V.R. Warshawski novel, Deadland, which is out now. She also has a short story collection coming out later in the summer. Uh, she is uh, busy and putting us all to shame. I, I feel uh, like a slacker. Completely, completely. It's it, Yeah, no, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. <laughs> well, let's be in awe together. Let's, let's chat with Sarah Paretsky. Sarah Paresky, I cannot imagine that I could ask you a question that you have not heard before. So I'm going to start far away from the book world and uh, see what you have to say to this bizarre question, okay? <laughs> okay. I know you love to sing, so what band would you have loved to have been the lead singer for? Oh my God, you're asking the wrong person that question because <laughs> I am not familiar with bands, but... Um... Now, then, in the past, present, who doesn't um, matter? If I could channel someone, 
it would be Leontine Price. So not a band, but a great diva. Uh-huh. Yeah. Somehow that tracks with what I know of you, Sarah. <laughs> oh, no. Am I a diva? Do I have a diva persona? I, guess. <laughs> I know I certainly have a great chip on my shoulder constantly, and it's one of the things that fuels my writing and gets me out of bed in the morning. Would you love to be like a backup singer for anybody? You know, you're, I just can't come up with names. I wish I could. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good at pop culture. Oh. In fact, the number of things I'm not good at, this quarantine is just <laughs> making me very aware of them. In the 70s, before you two were born, I suspect, there used to be a parlor game where what skill would keep them from throwing you off the rowboat if you were if there were 10 people in the rowboat and only enough food for six and i think okay i just was dealing with a flooded basement with because all the pipes had rotted out and everything was backing up into the basement wrong i can't do plumbing i can't do wiring i can't grow anything even though i grew up in the plains of kansas right and, and now, you know, I don't even know trivia. I don't know bands. What, what person am I? I might as well just jump out the window right now. Okay, Eric, ask me another question to cheer me up. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll turn the next one over to Jennifer. <laughs> we'll see if it goes better. <laughs> we'll go back to book talk. Mia um, Warshawski is back in your new novel, Deadland. Your 20th? The 20th VI novel, yes. 20th, Wow. So once again, VI is dealing with issues that are very current. Are you constantly seeing headlines and wondering how you can incorporate those into a story? It works actually in exactly the opposite way. I think of a story, but because I'm obsessed with headlines, they worm their way into my stories. I've been involved with a community effort to keep the city of Chicago's Park District from privatizing one of our historic Frederick Law Olmsted parks on the south side. They've been giving, essentially offering it to the Obama Foundation for a lease of a dollar a year and taking it out of public hands and putting it in private hands. And I think we're losing the battle, but I have been fighting it, and it's made me very aware of how this fight is going on, not just in Chicago, but in cities all over the world. And so that just kind of oozed into my book. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting that you're, you, you no matter what, the, the real world does creep onto the page. But it also is because the way I think is grounded in the real world, but yes, the current situation is... Um, impossible for me to figure yeah. out how to write about and also it's such a fast-moving target i'm actually comforted to hear you say that because it feels you know every everything i try to write kind of comes back to the pandemic and i don't want to write about that but then it kind of seeps in a little bit so i'm yeah. glad you say that so i had started a book back in january i'd written about 50 pages and now that just feels dead in the water right i hear you Oh. Yeah, I know one thing that I like to do if I feel like I need to sort of recharge the batteries or just kind of figure out that, hey, I know how to do this again, is a uh, turn to short stories and uh, use those to kind of clear the head and everything. And Sarah, you have a short story collection, Love and Other Crimes. It's coming out soon. 
so w- when you set out to write a short, are you intentionally sitting down to write something short or does, I know I'm kind of like an idea will present itself and I just need to get it out. And maybe sometimes starting it before I realize, is this something short or something that has legs to be a novel? Are you intentionally writing a short story when you sit down at the typewriter? There are, it's what you're saying, Eric. There's some ideas that, that just are short ideas and then some ideas which could be novels, but you have to truncate them if if I'm writing a story on a commission. Right now, the writing that I'm doing is a doodle. I'm writing something that I know no one but me and maybe one of my brothers will ever really be interested in. And it's it's kind of soothing, but it's a short story. It's very soothing because I'm writing, which feels good. Yes. And nobody is going to read it, which also feels good. There's no sense of a critical outer eye looking yeah, at it that. and maybe if I can finish that story or at least write it to a dead end mm-hmm. I'll be able to go back and write some of the stuff I'm supposed to be working on <laughs> you write every day Sarah no throw me off the rowboat <laughs> <laughs> well you you're, you had a really long career and you received the lifetime achievement award and MWA grandmaster status back in 2011 um, but you haven't slowed down. So do you, are you always moving forward with the idea um, that your best work is still ahead of you? I hope my best work is ahead of me. It would, if I thought it was behind me, I, I don't know yeah. what I would do. I yeah. can't imagine not writing. And, um, you know, P.D. James was, was somewhere between a friend and an acquaintance. I didn't see her often enough to be really good friends with her, but we had a particular relationship. And she told me once when she was in her 80s, I think she was 92 when she died, that she wasn't going to write anymore because she didn't want people to say, oh, look what a good job she's doing for an old woman. (laughs) And, uh, And yet then she still had more stories to tell. And so she, fortunately for all of us readers, she broke that, that vow and went back to writing. And you know, the, turning off that critical voice, what um, Annie um, Lamott calls radio station, fuck you, that tells you right. every negative thing you ever heard as you're trying to write. Yeah. It, in some ways, it was reassuring to know that even Phyllis James heard that radio station playing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, Jennifer and I were, were talking about that earlier, about how you've, you're not truly a writer unless you're filled with self-doubt and on every <laughs> book that you start. And, and you know, more than 20 books in, I, it, it would be nice to for people to think like, oh, Sarah Paretzka, she probably sits down with all the confidence in the world, but it's it, it never goes away, does it? It really never goes away. And in some ways, I'm very grateful to every reader who likes my work. Uh, but it ups the stakes. I'm thinking, oh God, if they hate this one, they'll all walk away from me. And then what will I do? I used to say I would climb up to the top of the Sears Tower and jump off. But first of all, I can't jump off the Willis Tower. That just is so low rent. (laughs) And secondly, I think in the quarantine, it would be even harder than ever to try to get to the top of the Sears Tower. It's true. Technical glitches with that plan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sarah, I mean, you've been such a fixture in the community also. Uh, I wonder, do you ever get tired of of young writers asking for advice or tips, or do you really thrive on imparting wisdom? 
I don't think I have wisdom to impart, but what cheers me up is to think that even though, as as you two are subtly pointing out, I'm extremely aged and have been around the office for a very long time, that, uh, that people still think that I have something useful to say that might help them. And, you know, the big thing about being a crime writer is you're also a reader of crime fiction, and so it's very exciting to know that there always going to be new writers who are going to have interesting stories to tell. You think every possible story has been told, but it hasn't because that new young person hasn't told that story yet. I want to say, Eric, that one thing I, I try to keep learning and growing, one thing that really changed part of how I write was your, um, now your unloaded series. Oh because um, the last three books, Deadland, Shell Game, and Fallout, VI, although she has a Smith & Wesson and is licensed to use it and is a good shot, she is not using that gun. Even if she carries it, she's not using it. And in mm -hmm. fact, in Fallout, to the first book that I wrote while aware of your Unloaded series, I made a deliberate decision that... Um, if she carried it in the climactic scene and used it, she would be dead. Right. And so it has made me start thinking about gun use in a very different way than I had been thinking about it before. Wow. Well, uh, that's interesting, and uh, I'm glad that you got something from it. And uh, I, I hope that I, I don't get the angry letters from uh, <laughs> readers saying, what what happened? Viet doesn't use her gun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, get, I, I have gotten a ton of angry mail from readers on many different topics. The gun thing is a funny one because I, years ago, back before people sent angry emails, which end up in right. my Windows Cranks and Idiot folder, right. um, they, I got a 10-page single-spaced letter from a member of the National Rifle Association saying that everything VI, I don't own a gun. I'm terrified of guns. I can't imagine ever owning a gun. But so this guy wrote me every mistake that I made and how he, I used her gun. And then he finished by saying that he could tell I was a communist trying to take guns away from people by encouraging them to do wrong things with guns and making them blow up in their faces. <laughs> Single space, 10 page letter. Who I know. There was a guy who had a lot of emotion. I mean, that's a lot of energy and time. <laughs> <laughs> so are guns, are guns no longer going to be, you know, in your books going forward? Oh no. Guns are so much part of American yeah. life that, yeah. I, that I have to be very aware of them, but yeah. uh, I am going to try to keep VI from using hers going forward. Is there anything else that she would or would not do? You know, like as her character evolves, as you continue to write her story? I, you know, good question. I And it's hard for me to think about specifics. Yeah. But the guy who's been cutting my hair for many, many years now, he and I used to have a, a fantasy world about going around the country writing wrongs and he would you would cut hair for a living while I went out and did various things that I won't mention in a live stored recorded broadcast. But he, his politics are as progressive, if not more so, than my own. And when W was inaugurated for the first time, one of his clients, who was a plastic surgeon, tried to get him to open up his 
calendar at night to get his wife's hair fixed so that she could take part in W's inaugural ball looking her best. And Randy said that was the last thing that he would ever open his salon at night to take care of. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know, you know, maybe if maybe bodyguarding the current U.S. president. No, she would never do that. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she got to have standards. Uh, well, Sarah, I, I thank you so much for uh, for your time. And uh, I have to say, I'm jealous of both of you for having people that you can um, shelter with at home. I live alone, and it oh. is. Um, I have my dog, but she's not a conversationalist, and uh, you really miss that physical contact with people. So, yeah. whenever they're on your nerves, whenever you think I can't take this one more second, just remember it would be worse if you didn't have them. Absolutely. Sorry, that was that came out much more judgmental than I. No, meant it. it actually. No, no. <laughs> oh, it actually really didn't. It's a good reminder because I was I've been annoyed for the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always love a chance to talk with Sarah. She's just a, a lovely human and uh, a fantastic writer, uh, and I'm glad that she doesn't shy away from uh, sharing her advice and, and inspiration to other authors out there. She is so refreshingly honest, and I could have talked to her all day. Absolutely. I could have asked her so many questions about process that would probably bore everybody, <laughs> but <laughs> it's fascinating. You know, she's, she's wonderful. It's always interesting to meet and to talk with writers who uh, you know from the page, but then you, you meet them in person, and it is always a little gratifying to know that at the core level, we do all have the same doubts, the same anxieties, yeah. and in a way that we're, we're kind of all the same. I was really comforted by that because sometimes I think that it should feel easier, you know, at some point, and maybe that point doesn't exist. And I'm glad to know that because then maybe I can let myself off the hook when I'm full of angst and self-doubt, which is like all the time. Right. <laughs> so, that this is normal. This is the life you picked. Get used to it. Yes. Every time I sit down at the keyboard, is what would Sarah Paretsky do? <laughs> Same as me. Sarah at the voice page. <laughs> well, time now for Staff Picks, where we highlight indie bookstores around the country. Especially now in this time of quarantine, these stores are vulnerable and we need them in our communities. So we encourage you to find them online and order some books. They're still shipping and you can get yours the same and just as easy as from other online retailers that uh, we won't mention. And this time around, we hear from two stores with a whole lot of recommendations for what to read and what you can order from them. Hi, this is Shane Mullen from Left Pink Books in St. Louis, and I have a couple of recommendations for some fantastic Missouri authors, plus another uh, wonderful author that we love. You can order from us at left-bank.com, or you can do over the phone at 314-367-6731. We are shipping all over the country, all over the world, and would love to get some really fantastic mystery books into your hands. I would like to start with a Missouri author that her first book was The Weight of Blood by Laura McHugh. She does have a new book that is coming out in paperback soon called The Wolf Wants In. But Laura is, uh, especially with The Weight of Blood, 
is what you should think of when you think of Missouri mysteries. It's very dark, it's very Midwestern, it's created an entire genre called Midwestern Noir. So if you just think of Gone Girl when you think of Missouri mysteries, you should definitely also be thinking of Laura McHugh. Uh, another Missouri author, Jill Orr, is a lot lighter, uh, but really fantastic. Her first book is The Goodbye Line and the Riley Allison Mysteries. And she does have a new book coming out in June called The Full Scoop. They're not cozy mysteries, but they are much um, kind of more pleasurable reads and uh, just a really fantastic character. Very much enjoy those. And going back to dark mysteries, uh, Jocelyn Jackson is an author out of Georgia and her new book, Never Have I Ever, is quite a turn from her previous books. It is a very twisty, dark mystery uh, that starts with a reading group and just completely spirals from there. A game of cat and mouse and just incredible characters. Dark, twisty. Those, those are the best words to describe it. Uh, so those are my mystery recommendations. We can send them to you anywhere in the country. And thank you so much. That was Left Bank Books at left-bank.com. And now for one of my favorites right here in Southern California. Mysterious Galaxy has been a fixture in the community here for years. They recently got some new owners who stepped in and saved the store. Uh, and then, of course, walked right into this virus mess. So they are champions of mysteries, sci-fi, fantasy, and more. They've hosted me for signings a few times, and they also provide all the books for the Noir at the Bar that I host in L.A. here for the past eight years. So, uh, yeah, I love these guys. Mysterious Galaxy. Hey there. I'm Matthew Berger, one of the owners of Mysterious Galaxy in sunny San Diego. We'd love to share some of our recent favorites with you. I listen to Ben McIntyre's The Spy and the Traitor on my commute to L.A., and some days I'm not sure how I got home. This engrossing real-life tale of Oleg Gorjevsky, the Russian double agent who helped end the Cold War, paints all the betrayals and close encounters with such vivid intensity you'll be anxious for days after finishing it. I'm currently reading Quay Cortez's The Missing American. The book starts off with the assassination of a Ghanaian presidential candidate and doesn't slow down from there. You're going to love his new lead character, Emma John, a Ghanaian private investigator, and you'll want to dive into all the scams, scandals, and secrets that may just tie together the case of a missing American with the death of the anti-corruption presidential candidate. Bookseller Kylie recommends The Doll Factory by Elizabeth McNeil, a historical thriller that takes place in the shadows of Victorian-era London and the Crystal Palace. It follows the conflict between a girl who wants to break free from her circumstances to become an artist and the man who wants to add her to his collection. A brilliant debut novel filled with art, history, and suspense. We've recently expanded our mystery section at the store to include true crime, and bookseller Becca would like to recommend a lot, uh, but we'll go with A Serial Killer's Daughter by Carrie Rawson. Her autobiographical account of her relationship with her father, Dennis Rader, the infamous BTK killer who was just a doting father until the FBI told her what he had done. 
emotionally gripping and compelling with unique insight into the man her father was and who she has been forced to become because of it. We have lots more recommendations for you on our website, mystgalaxy.com, M-Y-S-T-Galaxy.com. Thanks for buying local. We'll definitely check out Mysterious Galaxy and Left Bank Books, as well as the other indies that we featured on our show uh, and the indie bookstore closest to where you live. Well, our next guest is thriller author Reese Hirsch, and he is back with the second in his Lisa Tanchik novels. This is Dark Tomorrow is the new one. Now, Lisa is a cybersecurity expert, much uh, like Reese is in real life. So uh, he certainly knows what he's talking about when he writes these thrillers. And uh, Jennifer, you ever uh, get a little paranoid about uh, being online and how much information is out there? You know, I, I try not to think about it, which is the worst way to handle it, because I should be thinking about it. Right? Like it's, it's nerve wracking. So yesterday I was doing a Zoom chat and we finished and I then was very hot because I was talking and I got really like worked up. And so I took off my sweatshirt. And then suddenly realized, oh my God, did I actually log out of the week? <laughs> like, please God. And I turned around and I had, but you know what? I really need to just close the laptop because you don't know. You don't know who's watching it. And what if, you know, that little light comes on and you're being recorded and and I, I really should be more diligent. I, I'm very like suspicious of people, but I should also be more careful with my computer and my internet. Yeah, do be suspicious not just of the people on your block, but of, of Russian hackers. And I, and I really, and I think I take for granted that you know that it won't happen, but it happens all the time. So I'm eager to see what Reese, what what advice Reese would give me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to break it to you, he's not going to reassure you. <laughs> he's going to be like, dude, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> So Reese, Lisa Tanchik is back in the second book in the series, Dark Tomorrow. And uh, once again, she's fighting a cybersecurity threat. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but you have to agree that this is probably the biggest threat to our security that no one is talking about. Yeah, Uh, it's true. You know, I, I was really trying to come up with kind of a worst case scenario, this major cyber warfare attack on uh, the East Coast of the United States. Of course, um, you know, reality sort of said, hold my beer. And now that doesn't seem like uh, the greatest crisis we could imagine now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. But right. it seemed like it at the time. That, that is such a writerly thing to do is to sit around <laughs> trying to think of worst case scenarios. Oh my God, I'm a catastrophic thinker though. So I really relate. Reese, um, do you find it hard? Like, So Lisa spends so much time on a computer. Um, how do you work to make that exciting to the reader? Right. I think that's definitely a peril of writing uh, you know, cyber stories and cyber crime. Yeah. But um, you know, she's an FBI agent, and these are all criminals who are doing things in the, uh, the real world, too, away from the keyboard. So when I am concocting a plot line, I always uh, want to choose things that, that take her out into the real world, fighting crime and the last book, she encountered drug cartels. In this case, it's uh, sort of going head to head with a uh, a Russian spy. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to get a character out of uh, their own little world and, and throw them into a situation that's uh, hopefully as unfamiliar as well as perilous. That's where we create the drama, right? Right. And in the first book, she was sort of a, a little bit of a fish out of water because she was a, a misfit within the FBI. 
which is used to a certain kind of image of special agents. It was sort of the square jawed stereotype and she's more of a computer geek. And, and so she was sort of dealing with that. And, and I learned that that is a real dynamic in the FBI apparently, but now she gets taken even further out of her comfort zone because she gets roped into this um, response to a cyber warfare attack. So she's brought in or read into the response by U.S. Cyber Command, which is the agency that defends the nation against cyber attacks. So I thought that was a really interesting world to explore. Now, when you're putting together these books, are you planting stuff in there for the hardcore hacker nerds that uh, the rest of us <laughs> civilians might miss? Do you have little Easter eggs in there? Um, there are a few of those. Like I, I have some uh, beta readers and one of them just sort of was so ticking off the sites, you know, the things that I was referencing. <laughs> and, uh, and one of them is uh, in my first chapter, I have someone who's killed by an email attachment and it, oh, yeah, please it, tell me that can't happen. It, that it can happen. And oh my God. if you have epilepsy and someone sends you an attachment that has a powerful strobe in it, if they can induce you to click on it, that strobe can induce an epileptic seizure. Yeah, it's as I suspected, right? There's nothing is safe. <laughs> right. No. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm a thriller writer too, as you know, and uh, pacing, right? That's the name of our game. We got to keep the story moving. I always say that pace is like a slow pace is the kiss of death in a thriller. So what do you do to keep it moving so fast? You know, do you have any secrets that you want to share? Well, you know, I guess every story is different, but I think that, you know, the important thing is to, I think readers of thrillers have an expectation that you're going to keep it moving. You No wasting okay. chapters. You know, that doesn't mean that you know, the character has to be in peril in every chapter, but there needs to be a forward momentum. And with Dark Tomorrow, I dealt with that a little bit by starting in the thick of the action. Like usually a thriller would start or would end or climax in the kind of event that I start with. Because at the very start of the book, all hell breaks loose and the East Coast is shut down and you have a country in crisis. And that's sort of the... Um, the jumping off point for getting Lisa involved in that, that landscape. When you do read a book that is gets right to the action, like you say, it does kind of make you think like, oh boy, are, is everyone else just wasting our time with all this setup? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But but you, you can't have all action or, or that gets boring too. Even yeah. though we start up at a fast clip, Lisa has you know, her issues with depression and, uh, and, you know, compensating alcohol abuse. And, you know, she has her issues to grapple with and she needs to be given time to deal with that. Yeah. Well, that's what, what's always going to elevate it is, is adding in those character moments. And well, and speaking of adding in, I mean, I think I know when I go through my revisions, a lot of times that's the kind of stuff that I'm adding because I'm, typing so fast and just trying to get to the action during my first draft. And I always feel like, Ooh, I need to beef up this character moment and, and add those kind of things in. But I wonder like, are, is, is all that stuff there in the first draft or are you thinking about pace in that second draft and maybe even tightening some things up to keep it moving? Um, I tend to write that stuff into the first draft just because I think that's some of the most fun stuff to write for me. 
And with, uh, with Lisa, I sort of bring out some of those character elements because she has a bit of a foil. Um, there's this surly Ukrainian cybersecurity consultant named Arkady Orlov, and she uh, sort of is teamed with him because in real life, the Ukraine has been kind of a cyber punching bag for Russia where they've tested all of their cyber warfare techniques. So he kind of knows the enemy better than anyone else. And so that makes them kind of an unlikely pair. Mm-hmm. Well, Dark, Dark Tomorrow sounds uh, frighteningly like the real world that we're living in right now with, the, with the, the amount of cyber threats that are out there lurking, I think, just under the surface. And yet, like you say, the world has kind of gone a little crazier than any of us could have imagined. I mean, is there any part of you that regrets that not making Lisa like a virologist or something? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I've got to work with what I've got because uh, in my non-writing life, I'm a privacy and cybersecurity attorney. So I get exposed to a lot of these scary issues in my um, in my day-to-day life. So oh, I imagine. actually, I don't know if I want to know because I I want to live in the bubble where everything is safe and no one's going to hack me <laughs> and steal my information. And maybe you don't want to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think I need to read this book because I need to be educating myself on all the things I take for granted um so do you pay attention to every single you know real life situation that you deal with and make mental notes on what would make you know a good storyline in your next book definitely and uh you know for example I had clients who'd been victimized by you know Chinese state-sponsored hackers stealing their intellectual property so I wrote a book about yeah. that a few years back and But with this one, since it's kind of an all-out cyber attack on the U.S., I sort of thought about all the different uh, ways that, that our lives can be imperiled by technology, sort of through the, the, the whole gamut at, at Lisa. So we've got a character who dies from a hacked medical device, a pacemaker. You've got cars that are hacked into through their navigation systems right her adversary even um and this is not really hacking it's just one of those creepy invasive aspects of technology that we live with but she's on a peloton like bike and uh she gets a high five from her adversary (laughs) if you've ever ridden a peloton bike you can do that to other people i always find it really creepy and invasive I think in the world of uh, quarantine, where we're all locked down in our houses, sort of with the blinds closed, this seems like your world, Reese. Like, because now I, I don't know how you ever step outside knowing what you know about the world. Well, welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jennifer, that's it. You're off the hook. Your duties are done. Thank you for being my co-host today. Oh, thank you for having me, Eric. It was what a fun, what a fun thing to do. And congratulations on Little Secrets, uh, the new book, burning up the charts. And uh, <laughs> I, I just assume at this point we'll see you on the awards circuit next year. Oh God, you know it's it's. I don't want to hope for it because I was a basket case last year. You know, I was feeling all chill about everything, and, and Jar of Hearts was like a year behind me, and then. The nominations came out, which are wonderful and such a huge honor, but then you're nervous. <laughs> At the same time, it was such a wonderful experience. So I have no expectations for anything going forward. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, I have a long history of, uh, I've, I'm grateful for every nomination I've ever received. Okay. Uh, I have yet to win a single thing ever. It's an honor <laughs> and, to, be, to be nominated though. Don't, like, don't you find like it, it really, it's oh, yeah. kind of cliche when you say it, but oh my God, it's, it's amazing. And it's a big deal because it's a noisy space. You know, there's a, oh, lot of, yeah. a lot of writers and how do you, how do you make yourself memorable or your work memorable in any way? Right. So the fact that anyone remembers me ever is always <laughs> a surprise and an honor. So we remember you, Jennifer, come on. <laughs> I will say I've, I, I still have, I, I think the, the losing award story to beat all others. I want to hear your losing award story. Well, it's, <laughs> And it's funny, it's one of the things like you, you almost can't talk about this without sounding a little bit braggy. So it's it's a humble thing. <laughs> yeah, and not trying to, to be that. But uh, there was one year where I was nominated for uh, a Seamus Award, which was incredibly gratifying because I don't normally write yeah. PI stuff. Right. Uh, uh, I was also nominated for an Anthony Award, which is a high honor. Yep. Uh, and then my day job is I, I work in television as a television editor, uh, and I was nominated for an Emmy Award that year. Oh my God! Happened to be on the same weekend as Bowser okay. So I, I went to Florida to Bowser yeah. so, and, and then knowing that I had to get back on Sunday to make it to the Emmy Awards. So Friday oh night was. Oh, God. Okay. Fr Friday night was the Seamus Awards. I lost that. <laughs> Saturday night was the Anthony Awards. Went to that, lost that. Okay. Flew back to LA, picked up my daughter, took her to the Emmy Awards on Sunday night, lost that. So three <laughs> nights in a row, I was nominated for awards, went to ceremonies, came home empty handed. <laughs> These are first first world problems. Exactly right. <laughs> All right, Jennifer. Well, thank you so much for for being here, and uh, I'll be back real soon with another episode of Writer Types, another great co-host, and more fantastic authors. You can always uh, find us at writertypespodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at writertypes. So come over, follow us, drop us a line. You and if you subscribe to the show, you get it right out of the gates. So you'll be the first one to hear it on your block. Jennifer, thanks again, uh, and I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. <laughs>